We've been looking at prophets this summer, uh, especially looking at how they got used in the New Testament, uh, either said by Jesus or the gospel writers or ended up in the letters. And um, Zephaniah, uh, kind of an important prophet, but he doesn't really get quoted at all uh, in the New Testament, uh, unfortunately. But kind of what he's saying, uh, as with much of the, many of the, all of the prophets, what they said ends up a lot, uh, at least content-wise, or, or kind of sort of inspiration idea-wise, is very much what is the New Testament, because it was the prophets who really helped to reform Judaism, and that's what Jesus comes out of, is that uh, kind of reformed Judaism that the prophets helped to inspire. So let us read from the prophet Zephaniah. And we've been looking at these prophets chronologically as they appeared through history. I'm going to read just the first verse of the first chapter. And Zephaniah is actually a, a pretty short book. It's only three chapters long, uh, a fairly quick read and not, uh, not too difficult uh, of a read. It begins with these words. The word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah, son of Cushi, son of Gedaliah, son of Amariah, son of Hezekiah, in the days of King Josiah, son of Ammon of Judah. And that's quite an introduction to a prophet. That is one of the longest genealogies of a prophet that we have. And, and his, uh, Zephaniah's genealogy ends with son of Hezekiah. And we don't know a lot about Zephaniah. But Hezekiah is a very unusual and uncommon Hebrew name. And there was a king named Hezekiah uh, who was uh, just a couple of kings before Zephaniah shows up. So it's quite possible and probably likely that this Hezekiah that Zephaniah is the great-grandson of is King Hezekiah, the king who had been king of Judah. Uh, and uh, Josiah, who was the king at the time of Zephaniah, is the son of Ammon, who was the son of Manasseh, who was the son of Hezekiah. So the king is also uh, this great-grandson of Hezekiah. And quite likely, then, if... Hezekiah is also Zephaniah's great-grandfather. Uh, Zephaniah and Josiah would be cousins. Uh, not for sure, uh, but it's, it's probably a pretty good bet. <coughs> and so Zephaniah is a prophet who was called to be a prophet during the time of uh, King Josiah. And Josiah ruled from 640 B.C. until 609. He had 31 years of ruling in Judah, and that was pretty close to the end of Judah. I, it ends up being invaded by Babylon uh, about 10, 15 years after uh, Josiah's time. And so Josiah's grandfather mentioned uh, King Manasseh, Hezekiah's son. Uh, Hezekiah was a very good king. Tried to do some reforms, got rid of some of the false idols, some of the shrines and high places that had been built to worship other gods other than God. Uh, and unfortunately, Manasseh, his son, uh, he, he came to the throne at age 12, and Manasseh was awful. Manasseh was a, just a bad king. Uh, he is not spoken well of at all in Scripture. Uh, he redid some of his father's reforms. He rebuilt many of the high places and the shrines and the altars to all of these other gods. Uh, and he was just a pretty faithless and horrible king. 
uh, did many of the things that the prophets were speaking against, like worshiping other gods and building these temples, and the, the way that the poor were mistreated, and the oppressed, and the downtrodden, the sick, the widows, the orphans, all the people that were supposed to be taken care of that weren't uh, being taken care of. And the writer of Second Kings had this to say about Manasseh. Uh, talking about the Hebrew people. Manasseh misled them to do more evil than the nations had done that the Lord destroyed before the people of Israel. So God's judgment had come upon the people who were in the land of, uh, of Canaan when you know, Hebrew people come out of Egypt to the promised land that God gives them. Part of that was God's judgment against the people there for being evil. And here Manasseh has said he's doing even greater evil things than the people were doing who were there before. And then God says of Manasseh a few verses later, I am bringing upon Jerusalem and Judah such evil that the ears of everyone who hears of it will tingle. Hebrew is this wonderfully physical, tactile kind of language uh, and way of looking at the world. So God is going to bring such evil upon Jerusalem and, and Judah that anyone who, he, who even hears of it, their ears are going to tingle. And then God continues and says, I will wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. I will cast off the remnant of my heritage and give them into the hands of their enemies because they have done, the people, they have done what is evil in my sight. Manasseh does not go down well in history. And this remnant, this idea of a remnant, Zephaniah is going to pick up on. And then Manasseh's son, uh, after Manasseh dies, his son Amon, who is Josiah's dad, Amon becomes king. He's 22 when he comes to the throne, and he's 24 when his servants kill him because he was such a bad king. Even his servants didn't want him as king. So they had him, they assassinated him, but unfortunately the people of the country thought he was great, so they killed all of the servants that assassinated Amon, and they raised Josiah to be their king when Josiah was eight years old. Josiah becomes king. And Josiah also was a very good king. Gets a very good write-up in scripture, uh, just like his great-grandfather Hezekiah. There are three kings uh, in all of the history of Israel, uh, and then later of Israel and Judah. Three kings that actually get a a good write-up. Uh, Most kings, as you read through the history books, say, you know, king so-and-so, he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And then there's this litany of the bad things they did, and then move on to the next king. Uh, But three kings get uh, good things said about them. That's David, the second king, father of Solomon, uh, and Hezekiah, because of his reforms, and Josiah, who also initiates a lot of reforms. Uh, So Josiah comes to the throne as an eight-year-old, and Zephaniah is there as prophet during Josiah's time. We don't know about Josiah's early years. He's introduced as the king, eight years old, and the next story about him, he's 26, uh, 18 years later. Uh, But something must have happened in those intervening 18 years, and I think part of that probably was that Zephaniah was there, and especially if Zephaniah is Josiah's cousin, they may very well have been close. They probably weren't necessarily close in age, 
Zephaniah probably an adult already when Josiah becomes king, but they may have uh, been friendly, uh, known each other, and so maybe Josiah listened to Zephaniah's warning. Uh, We're not sure, but we can imagine. Uh, Use our imaginations there. But something happened that, that made Josiah want to be faithful. Faithful to God in ways that his father and grandfather were not. And, and so when a story comes up in scripture, he's 26, it's the 18th year of his reign, and he decides to repair the temple, the temple that Solomon had built, this temple, the big stone structure that the people worshipped in that held the Ark of the Covenant, the box that had the Ten Commandments in it. Uh, it was in the Holy of Holies, that inner chamber where God was thought to live and sit Uh, the temple had been sort of untended, ignored, neglected, probably for a few hundred years at this point, and it was falling into disrepair, and Josiah says, this is is our God, this is our God's house. We need to fix it. It's embarrassing that the house of our God is in such bad shape. Uh, So he sends people and provides money to go and and fix the temple. And while the people are in there fixing it, they come across a scroll. And the scroll is some version of what we have today as Deuteronomy, a book of the law. And his people read through that. uh, And uh, this would be some of the law given to Moses. People read through that and go, oh, we're not doing really any of this. Or most of this. We've ignored this for a long time. And so they go, I think the king needs to know about this. So they send the scroll to King Josiah. And he reads it and he goes, wow, we're really bad. We've ignored an awful lot of the law. We had, no wonders God is so angry at us. This is all the stuff that we've not been doing. And so Josiah starts to reform the faith. He sends his people out to tear down the high places, the shrines and the altars to these other gods. He defiles all the sacred spaces of these false gods all throughout Judah. He fixes the temple. He repairs it. He brings it back into order and he also clears the temple of all of the idols that have gathered there over the years. He gathers all the idols, takes them out and burns them. And then he has his people go throughout the country and get all of the false priests and all of the bad priests and gathers them together and takes them out and burns them as well. Gets rid of all of the false religious people and clears out and defiles another place called the Mount of Corruption or the Mount of Destruction. it's called that by the writer of, uh, of Second Kings, uh, this mount of destruction or, or corruption. And even though Solomon was a pretty good king and that he built the temple for God, he also, on this mount, uh, built temples and shrines uh, to worship Ashtarte, Chemosh, and Milcom, who were three important gods of three of the surrounding countries. He builds them on that area. And this is an interesting place because Jesus knew it by a different name and we know it by a different name, the Mount of Olives. is where these altars had been built. And the Mount of Olives is where Jesus prayed and preached. And according to Gospel of Matthew, that's where Jesus was arrested and from where he ascended into heaven after the resurrection. The Mount of Olives. And, and it's still there. It's, a, it's been a cemetery for about 3,000 years outside of Jerusalem. And so Josiah gets rave reviews by the writers of his history, and God also thinks 
very highly of him. And as we've been reading through the prophets, we've been reading lots of judgments and warnings and oracles uh, against the people and specifically, especially against the kings and the religious leadership because of their unfaithfulness, because of their mistreatment of the weak and the poor and the marginalized and the downtrodden, the way that the, the top people were really just kind of stepping on and, and abusing uh, the people on the bottom of the economic rung and the lepers and the, and the sick, uh, saying that God is very angry uh, because of how they're mistreating the people and because they're running after all these other gods. And I've said many times uh, over the summers we've been reading the prophets, said that no one listened to the prophets. Uh, and that's not entirely true. Hezekiah and Josiah did. They did listen, but it was too little, it was too late, and the reforms that they tried to bring, the people just weren't into. They weren't willing to go along with it. Uh, And so Zephaniah is there to the boy King Josiah and offers him warnings. Uh, But Zephaniah's warnings are different than some of the other prophets who spoke only warnings really about Israel or Judah that it would be invaded, that it would have problems, that God was going to judge it. Zephaniah's warnings are universal. So he begins in verse 2. This is Zephaniah speaking God, speaking for God here. I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, says the Lord. I will sweep away humans and animals. I will sweep away the birds of the air and the fish of the sea. I will make the wicked stumble. I will cut off humanity from the face of the earth, says the Lord. This is a reversal of the creation story, the first in Genesis 1, the first creation story. Here, God is saying, I'm going to sweep away humans, animals, birds, and fish. And in that first creation story, the order of creation was fish, uh, birds, animals, and then humans. So, last in, first out. Uh, and also the, uh, uses this phrase, sweep away, uh, three times. In this verse, God said, uses the word sweep away three times uh, when God talks to Noah about the coming flood. Sweep away. So bringing back a remembrance of uh, the creation story and also Noah's story. And then uh, a little bit later in chapter 1, we get the, uh, some verses here that you may recognize if you were formerly Catholic or spent a lot of time with Catholic liturgy, you may recognize this, or if you've listened to some of the great musical masses and requiems by Beethoven and Mozart and Verdi and, uh, and all those guys, uh, the Dies Irae, part of the liturgy, the day of wrath, comes out of Zephaniah. These words. The great day of the Lord is near. Zephaniah talks of the day of the Lord, as did Amos. Uh, and there were amongst the elite the sense that the day of the Lord was going to be a day where all those who already had much were going to be given more. God would reign over all the earth and there would be an abundance of wonderfulness for all of the people who had been faithful enough uh, to be at the top of the economic rung. Uh, and the prophets uh, offered them the counter narrative that no, the day of the Lord is going to be a day you don't want. That's going to be the day that you end up on the bottom and all the people that you've pushed down and stepped on, they're going to be raised up. And you are going to lose. 
For the great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The warrior cries aloud there. That day will be a day of wrath, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty battlements. I will bring such distress upon people that they shall walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold will be able to save them. That's a word of warning for today, I think. Neither their silver nor their gold will be able to save them on the day of the Lord's wrath. In the fire of his passion, the whole earth shall be consumed for a full, a terrible end he will make of all the inhabitants of the earth. In Noah's time, the destruction was by water. Zephaniah offers a vision here of destruction by fire. And then he goes on. Gather together. Gather, O shameless nation, before you are driven away like the drifting chaff, before there comes upon you the fierce anger of the Lord, before there comes upon you the day of the Lord's wrath. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land who do his commands. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. Perhaps, perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the Lord's wrath. Note that perhaps. If you want to avoid the day of wrath, the day of the Lord, then follow God's commands. Be righteous. Seek humility. Zephaniah also uses uh, words there when he says, gather together, gather, O shameless nation. The word for gather that he uses here is not a word that you would use for people. It's a word that you use for straw or sticks, as if to gather them for kindling to start a fire. And the word for nation here is not the word for the nation of the Hebrew people. It's a word that's used for foreign nations. And so God is, in a sense, insulting the people here. Gather together like sticks and straw for the fire, you who are foreigners to me. Uh, And uh, Zephaniah continues, and I won't read this, but he curses all of the surrounding countries and curses their gods and predicts judgment upon them. uh, And then has a a really good judgment against the city of uh, Nineveh and the country of Assyria, which had invaded and conquered Israel. Uh, about a hundred years before, and then Zephaniah uh, offers judgment against the, the city of Jerusalem and Judah. And then just for good measure, he goes after all of the neighboring countries again uh, and speaks judgment against them, talks about how evil and awful they are and that God's uh, going to wipe them all out. Uh, going to wipe out the, the, the Hebrew people because they're not faithful enough and take out all the surrounding countries because they have the wrong gods. Uh, but, but there is, as with all the prophets, there is always hope. And for Zephaniah, it's this idea of a remnant. 
that a remnant will be preserved. Uh, there's going to be salvation through this remnant. There will not be total obliteration. There will be invasion and destruction. And shortly after Zephaniah's time, Babylon does come in, destroy Jerusalem, destroy the temple, send the people into exile. But Zephaniah offers this idea of a remnant that will be saved through whom the people will be redeemed and the promise uh, to Abraham will continue uh, and the world also will be blessed through them. This remnant that will remain, and they will be just. They will be incorruptible. They will be faithful and humble. So we read the, the last part of the third chapter of Zephaniah. This is the end of his book. At that time, I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech, that all of them may call on the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. From beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, which is to say from as far away as we know. From beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, my suppliants, my scattered ones, shall bring my offering. People will be brought back from the ends of the earth from their exile. They will have the land again. They will rebuild Jerusalem. They will rebuild the temple. Uh, And in this word of the people coming back, Zephaniah now uses a gathering word that means to gather people the word that you would use for people, and the word that he uses for people and nation here is the, is the word that you use for the Hebrew people, for us, for the nation. So there's this tenderness here. On that day you shall not be put to shame because of all the deeds by which you have rebelled against me. For then I will remove from your midst your proudly exultant ones, and you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. For I will leave in the midst of you a people humble and lowly. They shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord, the remnant of Israel. They shall do no wrong and utter no lies, nor shall a deceitful tongue be found in their mouths. Then they will pasture and lie down, and no one shall make them afraid. Sing aloud, O daughter Zion, shout, O Israel, is what I read in the prayer of assurance. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has turned away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall fear disaster no more. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Do not fear, O Zion. Do not let your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst. We can think of Jesus uh, in that line and many of these other lines. The Lord your God is in your midst. A warrior who gives victory. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will renew you in his love. And I like this line, this next line about God. He will exult over you with loud singing. God will be so happy that God will sing. A beautiful image. And we know that Jesus sang with his disciples. I will remove disaster from you so that you will not bear reproach for it. I will deal with all your oppressors at that time. And I will save the lame and gather the outcast. And I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you home. At the time when I gather you. For I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth. When I restore your fortunes. Before your eyes, says the Lord. That is the good word for today. Amen.